This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, myself, Bully Ray, and Tommy Dreamer talk the top 10 best booking decisions in the history of pro wrestling. Last week, we did the top 10 worst. This week, we're doing the top 10 best. And I think there's going to be some surprises for the Busted Open Nation. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Tommy, what do you what do you want to do? Do you want to start? We want to you want to do like what we did last week, where you go ten to six, I go ten to six, and then we get the take of the nation. Agreed. I love it. All and right. Again, so, for the callers, don't give us your number one right off the bat. <laughs> no, come on. There's rules here. I don't know. Maybe if you want to talk NXT and you want to talk about Last Legends match last night. That maybe you're, I don't know, you're listening to Busted Open when you call in and you're not listening to music while you're driving down the freeway. I don't know. That may be just me. But yes, Tommy, to your point, if you're giving us your top 10, your top five, your top three, you got to start with five, go five, four, three, two, one. You're absolutely right, Tommy. So why don't you start 10 to six when it comes to your top 10 best booking decisions of all time? Just like you, David, I woke up in a sweat in the middle of the night and I was like, oh, how can I forget about this? And then I had to go to my list, not yet laminated, nor will any of my lists ever be laminated. And I had to take this off the list to put this on. And this was as high as number seven. I had to take off Dusty Rhodes forming the superpowers with Nikita Koloff when Magnum had gotten hurt. That was as high as six on my many lists because I had a bunch. And I had to add at number 10, the return of Terry Funk in pro wrestling in his angle where he came out of retirement to face Ric Flair. Now, when some people say, what is the historical significance of that? Not only is it one of the greatest I quit matches of all time, but from that body of work, he also became super duper friendly with one Paul Heyman uh, working in WCW. And then again, the resurgence of Terry Funk. And we all know what he did in FMW as well as in ECW. And that all stemmed, in my opinion, from him coming back from his illustrious Hollywood career uh, with the one of the greatest angles of all time when he was a judge, which booked out all the way through. Uh, and then he defeated Ric Flair in the I Quit match. It's very funny, but first of all, the match that Flair had with Steamboat, which Terry Funk was a judge, is in my top five greatest matches of all time. The I Quit match that you're talking about between Ric Flair and Terry Funk is my number one greatest match of all time. Yet, that angle and that booking that you're talking about, not in my top ten, interesting enough. Interesting, interesting. But Bully, he's right. It started that hardcore. You think about that. That that the pile, pile driver, driver on the table. the table. I mean, that was, I had never, as a fan, I had never seen anything like that before. I think the pile driver on the table is the moment that obviously stands out the most to me. Uh, uh, the, 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 the plastic bag over the head also 
I don't know if that is an industry changing, but I'm I'm going to probably be the wrong one on this one. Once we get to the top three is when I'll when I'll start uh, chiming in a little bit more. But that was very enjoyable for me to to see that angle. I don't know if it's a top ten thing of all time. It's interesting Even, though because it did start kind of like that hardcore wrestling, like you know, I, it's it's very. In a, in a way, Tommy, you're right. It is industry changing when you look at that angle. My opinion. Uh, okay. So there we go. All right, number number nine. nine. Something that we're all going to be talking about, reliving, if you will. And when we talk about popping a territory, when we're talking about some of the most famous, iconic, and things done to death in pro wrestling. The Freebird slamming the cage on one Kerry Von Erich in his match against Ric Flair, that slamming of the cage, setting up the Freebirds versus the Von Erichs, setting up uh, one of the, you know, greatest feuds helped establish, you know, world-class as like a forefront leader in professional wrestling. But just that slamming of the cage door has been, we've seen it so many times, it still works, but, you know, Terry Gordy did it first uh, and it was, you know, Iconic, changing, and I'm sure we're going to see it in the Iron Claw. Also, don't know if you saw David. Um, they recently saw Kevin Von Erich at the Cowboys game, and the entire stadium gave him one hell of a pop, uh, which is pretty damn cool. Think of this, Tommy. <clears throat> yeah, that feud started, that that incident that you're talking about, that was Christmas night, December 25th, 1982, that territory was red hot for the next four years, and I think it's because of the Von Erichs and the Freebirds. I mean, there was other angles. There was other feuds, but I think it's safe to say the foundation of the next four years in that company was the Freebirds and Von Erichs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, you know, when I'm talking about how many times in steel cage matches have we seen somebody, they've thought of innovative ways to now slam the cage door into somebody but terry gordy did it in the shocking reveal uh i believe it was also on christmas a lot of bad things happened on christmas no it was on christmas it was christmas night and think of this sold out reunion arena and then just four years later you know when we're talking about the fritz von eric fake heart attack they had you know less than three thousand people in attendance that's how fast that 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 ignited and then faded out go ahead bully Bring me up to speed a little bit on this Fritz von Erich heart attack. And I don't know if they covered it in the movie. It is he faked a heart attack and there was a lot of backlash on it. Yeah, it was, it was, um, they never said it was a heart attack, but he was, you know, he was obviously he was clutching his chest and he, and he, um, he collapsed. And then they said that he was rushed to the hospital, but that's when business really started to go South for world-class. And this was obviously after, David and Carrie, you know, you know, it was not Carrie, but David and Mike. This was all after uh, the, their their deaths, and business was really falling apart. And they did an angle that I think fans were kind of like, "Are you are you serious?" They knew it wasn't real. It came off very poorly, and I think fans were like, "Wow, I can't believe you're actually going to try this on us," and it completely backfired. Gotcha. Right, my number eight and leads to my second favorite angle of all time. Christmas night again. What the hell's going on in Christmas and professional wrestling? 
the end of the feud between good and evil, between God and Satan, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes versus Kevin Sullivan and Santa Claus. How dare you, Santa? Hands Kevin Sullivan a weapon and the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, has to leave Florida. Why is this important? Because now we have the Dusty Rhodes becomes the Midnight Rider. Kevin Sullivan on our very own interview said that was the greatest booking angle he's ever been a part of. Everybody knew Sullivan was losing. Uh, he was losing to underneath guys on the uh, live events. And then all of a sudden he pulls this off again. Why I say historical, because then this angle with here comes Dusty Rhodes as the Midnight Rider, but you can never prove it. Uh, the wrestler under the mask has been done a lot. I feel this version of the Midnight Rider was done best. And my second most favorite angle was eventually when the Midnight Rider has to win and he wins the NWA title. But because of the rules that you cannot wear a mask if you're the NWA champion, so you have to reveal who you are. So if the Midnight Rider reveals that it's Dusty Rhodes, he has to leave Florida forever. He can never come back to wrestle. And when he wins the title, he has to give it back, making you love the American dream so much more. And we saw it again play out with Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant. We saw it play out with Junkyard Dog. We saw it play out with Tommy Rich, Mr. R, which turned out not to be Tommy Rich. It was Brad Armstrong. And then, yes, with Hulk Hogan. So we saw that same angle play out over the course of the next decade. The Yellow Dog, Barry Windham, and Brian Pillman. There's there's been a few. Uh, Number seven kind of leads us to... I would say where WWE dropped the ball back in the day, but Andy Kaufman in Memphis current state of pro wrestling. Logan Paul is a champion in the WWE celebrity appearance. Mainstream appearance wasn't the biggest, but Andy Kaufman and that angle that they did with Jerry Lawler, slow build, build all the time. And just continued where Andy Kaufman, you know, would wrestle women and then Jerry Lawler gets involved. This was a long build. Also putting it on the David Letterman show. Not only was it in a movie, but it has stood the test of time with celebrity involvement in pro wrestling. Uh, Tommy, I do not have this on my list, but this is one of those which, which I wish I did have it on my list. I didn't think about it. I'm very, very upset at myself because you could have this as high as number two or three on your list because this was the first time that we actually saw a celebrity involved in an angle in pro wrestling. Uh, And now, like you said, we're seeing it all the time. We just saw it with bad bunny. We're seeing it with Logan ball. So I, I, this is one of those without where I am kicking myself. This should be on my list. Great call by you. Think of WrestleMania one, Mr. T. That was spawned off of, in my opinion, because of like what they had already seen with Andy Kaufman, the numbers that it drew. Uh, you know, Mr. T was perhaps the biggest celebrity involvement in pro wrestling, but Andy Kaufman did it first and got national coverage of this little place, Memphis Championship Wrestling. Put it on the map. Uh, what am I at? Number six. Ooh, Number six. This is a, this is an important one. Uh, my hero, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, turns on Gary Hart and Pac Song, which now starts the American dream. Because, yes, way before most of us ever remember, Dusty Rhodes was a vicious, vicious heel. 
But then how dare Pak Sung, you traitor, you treacherous man. And uh, the American dream is born and in a great angle. And I mean, talk about Dusty's influence in the industry, but being a baby face, he was not the top guy. But once he became the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, he became the top guy. And this was the angle that formed that for him. You can make the case the greatest baby face of all time, Dusty Rhodes. Up there. The Busted Open Podcast is now available on YouTube. This is Dave LaGreca, host of Busted Open, the number one pro wrestling show on the planet. You can now watch and listen to the award-winning Busted Open Podcast every single day on YouTube. Our best interviews, behind-the-scenes access, and some of our best content from the past, all available right now when you go to youtube.com slash at Busted Open Podcast. Subscribe right now. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. I did not think of Andy Kaufman. And that's such a good one because even to this day, um, we see celebrities all the time involved in angles, and that never happened before Andy Kaufman. And it's pretty funny, uh, just a a little uh, play-by-play, a couple minutes too late over here. When Tommy mentioned the Andy Kaufman um, uh, angle and storyline, Dave was so dejected. All of the air and the wind came out of him. He started shaking his head. He threw his hands in the air. He was uh, he was so disappointed in himself and pissed at himself for not thinking of it. It's like Tommy. It's like Tommy said, "B six and and like Dave was like, "You sank my battleship." Yeah, it's pretty much pretty much it. But it's kind of that's what the first of all. There's really no wrong answers here. Uh, but there are moments and angles that I think do stand above. And I think that Andy Kaufman angle is one. I mean, think about it. Think of the exposure that it got and the way that they did it. Believe it or not, we've seen some celebrity angles where it almost made fun of the business and hurt the business in a way that was not the case when it came to Andy Kaufman. Um, and how about just that, that, I mean, the 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 appearance on Letterman may be the greatest appearance that anybody had on the David Letterman show. I mean, that is probably the top moment on the David Letterman show. The 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 thing that I love about that angle is the lack of smartening up anybody. I am a big fan of that in wrestling. I believe it should be done a lot more, especially in this day and age where everybody knows everything and everybody wants to be first to stooge something off. The fact that only, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, you're more historians than I am. It was Kaufman and Lawler who were in on the smack, right? Or was or was Kaufman not even in on it? No, as far as I know, they had it all set up what they were going to do. And I think it was going to end like in a song or something like that, Tommy. Like they were going to become friends and they read the room and they communicated with each other 
without actually speaking. Like oh, Andy, like so Lawler, Lawler basically told Andy Kaufman, "I'm going to slap you," without telling him he was going to slap him. <laughs> and Kaufman knew by the look on his face that he was going to get slapped. And Dave. then the follow up as well, where the scene busts. I mean, Letterman knows nothing about it either. The scene busts. They come back out, and Kaufman comes out cutting cursing on television yeah you know where and then they have lawler pretty much run him off and they're in the dressing room and i mean bully you've been on shows like this where you know it's a much different atmosphere and then lawler just walks out to run off a crazed andy kaufman all ad-libbed all just on the fly dave have you ever had anybody uh in your life a co-worker a relationship where you could talk to them with your eyes Yes. Okay. It's, I, in I, wrestling. I, I will say this, Bully. I think we do that at times, right? I know. I think I've gotten your cadence and your body language down in a way where I know when you're going to, like, if we're doing an interview, I know when you're going to follow up with another question. I don't ask me how. I just know. Or I. It's definitely, like, it's definitely our body language for sure. <clears throat> but in wrestling, sometimes you don't have that same body language to be expressing. In in wrestling, to be able to communicate with just your eyes cuts down on so much things that can give the business away. And to, for Kaufman and Lawler to be on that same page, especially when Kaufman's not the level of pro wrestler that Lawler is. I love that shit because the more you can blur the lines, the better. Yeah, and they definitely did in that angle. All right. Um, are you ready for my 10 to 6? I am looking forward uh, to it. All right. Now, I changed this a lot, but I'm interested to get your, your take, obviously, in the take of the nation. At number 10, I have the booking of Kerry Von Erich beating Ric Flair at Texas stadium in front of 42,000 fans in May of 1984. I mean, here we are, I'm watching the trailer of the Von Erich's movie and they're showing a dramatization of that same moment here in 2023. And that was the closest and the only time that we ever got, a Von Eric holding a championship title. It wasn't supposed to be Kerry Von Eric. It was supposed to be David Von Eric, but David Von Eric passing away. And then we got this moment from May of 1984. And we talked about this moment with Ric Flair when Ric Flair was in a studio a few weeks ago. And he said that there was probably going to be upwards of 60,000 at that show, but they had a massive heat wave. And they decided to have that show in the middle of the afternoon. It was about 104 degrees in Texas at that time. People were passing out during that show, but they had close to 50,000 fans. And you know what? I love playing those moments, guys, because just listening to the fans and how the fan. I mean, that's like your favorite team winning the Super Bowl or a game-winning home run to win the World Series. Like, that's how much they loved Devon Eriks, and that's how much that NWA World Championship meant back in 1984. And it's why I have such a hard time going back and watching older old wrestling or even listening to it like I just did. What I heard there, and I didn't see a damn thing, what I heard there was perfection. 
what I heard there was genuine reactions from people who were so overjoyed and overwhelmed with happiness. There is a big difference. Tell me if you guys agree or not. The reaction that you just heard from those fans is a big difference in that reaction compared to the reactions that we get today when somebody goes over. Yeah, I think Absolutely. it's different. I think it's different. Like here's here's a here's a a classic case because I know bully this is a moment that you absolutely love and you say it's the greatest uh match in WrestleMania history. Hogan and The Rock. It was it wasn't really about who was going to win that match or the ending of that match. It was just like, all right, Hogan's there. Here's The Rock that that face off. It's different than the joy that wrestling fans got, you know, 30, 40 years ago when their favorite won a match because, again, it was presented as it being real. So when Kerry Von Erich won that NWA World Heavyweight Championship, it really meant something to those fans that were in Texas Stadium that day. It's more pure to me. Yes. Uh, And when we talk about pure, David, I mean, if you remember, David Von Erich died. Um, We have come on and done this show way too many times about memorial shows. We've also seen them with Bray Wyatt. We've seen them with Brody Lee, where this is somebody that we loved has passed away. And it's more of we're remembering their career as opposed to back then. It's the same exact situation, but you hear the happiness and it's the Vince McMahon putting smiles on people's faces and letting people heal differently. It's completely different how it was then as it is today, because and that's exactly what that show was. It was a tribute. The Yellow Rose of Texas, all that stuff, you know, was all for a wrestler that was lost in his early mid 20s. Yeah. And and here's the other thing, too, is now we're used to stadium shows because pro wrestling is national for world class championship wrestling. They were a regional Texas territory. So think about this. You're getting close to 50,000 fans at Texas stadium for a regional promotion. This isn't a national promotion by any stretch later on. And even just a few years later, obviously the WWF went national, but this is, these are people that live in the area in that Metroplex area coming to see a pro wrestling show. Uh, that's pretty amazing to me. All right. And, you know, luckily, Paul, and, 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 and you know, if you if you compare it to something real quick, Dave, ECW was a regional promotion. And I think the biggest house we ever did in ECW was 5000 people. And think about how business, how much ECW changed the wrestling business. But we drew 5000 people tops, right? 8, 8, yeah. 8000, whatever. I don't know where we did 8000 people. Um, Chicago's after you left. We popped the territory. Thanks. And then you went under while I was making millions in the WWE and becoming the greatest tag team of all time. Stay in your corner and in your lane. Um, 55,000 people for a regional territory in Texas. When you compare it, it just, it just like when you were just saying it, I'm thinking, and I'm just like, wow, that is huge. Like how many more people could they have possibly, they maxed out their potential. A regional territory that went into a stadium. We understand why AEW went into a stadium. We understand why WWE could go into a stadium. We understand why every once in a while the WWE back in the day with Bruno and Pedro go into a stadium. But man, 
when when you described it the way you just did, it's almost unfathomable to to, to be able to draw fifty five thousand people. How over was your baby feet? How over was that family to draw fifty five thousand people? And I'm glad you said that, bully, because no disrespect to anybody else that was on that show. Every person that paid to buy a ticket to be at that show bought a ticket to see Kerry Von Erich beat Ric Flair for the NWA championship. Like, it wasn't about, like, oh, I want to see, you know, the missing link. No, they, they bought those tickets to see Kerry Von Erich win that NWA World Heavyweight Championship. So, yes, uh, it, it's amazing. And, and, you know, if you look at it, that was really one of those stadium shows. And, and, and thank you, Paul. David Von Erich was only 25 years old. So think of the potential that we could have gotten from a David Von Erich. Because I even asked that to Ric Flair. Who was the best of the Von Erichs? And he said, without a doubt, it was David Von Erich. Uh, interested what your guys' take is going to be on my number nine. Randy Savage announcing Miss Elizabeth being his manager and advocate. If you guys remember, Randy Savage came into the WWF and he was like that hot free agent and every manager wanted Randy Savage. And he he picks Miss Elizabeth. And that was like the first time I feel like a female presence was featured on a pro wrestling show. We've seen a lot of like, you know, women's wrestling, but women's wrestling wasn't looked on the same way that it's looked on right now. And they weren't. They were never in the main event. They were never featured as, as much. And Miss Elizabeth, and even though we had seen valets, Miss Elizabeth wasn't a valet. Miss Elizabeth was his manager and advocate. And all of a sudden you're seeing, you know, a female on cover of the wrestling magazines and the cover of the programs and T-shirts being sold for Miss Elizabeth and posters being sold for Miss Elizabeth. That was like the first time I really felt like there was a woman of power in pro wrestling. And I think that was something that was, I thought, a very, very hot angle back in the day. What's your thoughts? Uh, I mean, back then there was a lot of speculation who the manager was going to be. And you had, you know, the top three, plus you had added a whole much more. When I say top three, uh, was always Grand Wizard, uh, Captain Lou, and Freddie Blassie. I don't believe Grand Wizard was around during this time, but I think Johnny Valiant was there. There's a bunch of managers in the ring, Mr. Fuji. Um, and then he picks this unknown person. And, I mean, you can listen to the reaction. They did not know who she was. Poughkeepsie, New York was like, huh, but wait, she's pretty. Is she a movie star? And, uh, yes, you're right. It did help uh, bring women to the forefront. Good call. Um, at number eight, I got uh, Tommy Rich and Buzz Sawyer. Uh, nice. The build, the year story, the year build uh, leading up to the last battle of Atlanta, which was the holy grail of pro wrestling uh, for decades. We never got to see that match. It was strictly just for the people who paid for the ticket to go. And here's the thing, you know, Bully, and, and people forget about this, the the consecutive sellouts at the Omni when it came to Tommy File, Tommy Wildfire Rich. I mean, we when we think of the top baby faces of all time, I don't think people really realize how great Tommy Rich was in Atlanta, Georgia, one of the greatest baby faces of all time, and one of the greatest feuds of all time. And that last battle of Atlanta really was the first Hell in a Cell match that we still see today in the WWE. That's my number eight. At number seven, I have... Uh, the feud between Raven and Tommy Dreamer. I felt like that feud 
defined ECW for me. And think about the patience you must have to wait, what, almost two years to have Tommy finally beat Raven at Wrestlepalooza 97? I mean, Bully, let me ask you, would any booker or promoter now have the type of patience that Paul Heyman had when it came to Raven and Tommy Dreamer? I no, I don't think any promoter out there has that that type of patience. But I think a better example of patience and not taking away from Dreamer and Ravens feud, the better example of patience in pro wrestling is Taz and Sabu and the buildup to barely legal. Because Paul was able to keep a story going for one year in which these two guys never touched each other. That, to me, is a better example of patience. And Tommy and Raven is a better example of a payoff. Well, I, I think it's a payoff, but I also think it's a build of a story. But I also think it's building of a baby face. The fans were so behind Tommy Dreamer. Again, you didn't need Tommy Dreamer to win for the fans to fall in love with Tommy. That's what was so beautiful about it. It was like people were paying and people were tuning in to finally get that payoff of Tommy beating Raven. And it took a long time for that to happen. So to me, that build, that story, I was a big fan of ECW. Um, I still get chills when I go to that arena because I think about the first time I went to the ECW arena. And again, that's why you don't need a beautiful arena or all the luxuries of a, of a state-of-the-art venue for people to fall in love with a venue. Because it's not about how comfortable your seat is or if they uh, what food they're serving or anything like that. It's about the product that you're paying to go and see and watch. That's what defines a building to me. Maximum capacity of the Elks Lodge in Queens, New York was 850 people. We would put 1,200 people in there in the middle of the summer. It was the most hot, stinky, sweaty, disgusting spot you could ever want to watch wrestling in, but it was absolutely beautiful to go there and experience ECW. Now, when you when you think about crowd reaction, and we talk about this all the time, I always go to this next booking decision. And it's one I struggle with. I struggle with this all the time because there's a part of me that doesn't want to put this on the list. But you know what? You have to. And this is my number six. And it's Hogan beating the Iron Sheik at Madison Square Garden, January 23rd, 1984. Now, I struggle with this for this reason. I want to get your take on this, Tommy, and your take, Bully. And then I promise after the break, we're going back to the Busted Open Nation. Hogan walks into the WWF. And it's funny, Bully, in case you didn't know, myself, Tommy, Jonathan Hood, who was a guest on our show last week, we all had as worst booking decisions not having Hogan beat Nick Bockwinkle in the AWA, especially in their last match in April at the St. Paul Civic Civic Center. Sold-out crowd. Everybody was expecting Hogan to win, and it was another one of those uh, disqualification because Hogan accidentally threw Nick Bockwinkle over the top rope, which causes a disqualification. Look at the Hogan beating the Iron Sheik. Hogan... 
coming to the ring with Eye of the Tiger. The exact song that Hogan came to the ring with when he faced Nick Bockwinkle six months earlier. American-made t-shirt that he rips off once he gets to the ring. Same exact thing that Hogan did in the match before facing Nick Bockwinkle. Tommy brought up this point. I went back and watched it. Hogan thought he won the AWA title. The way he picks up the title, handles the title, and holds the title over his head against the Iron Sheik, the exact same way that Hogan did it at the St. Paul Civic Center against Nick Bockwinkle. Difference is, is that Vern Gagne didn't go with Hogan. Vince McMahon did. I, uh, Hogan didn't have a singles match before the match that he had with the Iron Sheik, January 23rd, 1984, though they still deemed him the number one contender. Imagine, Bully, if that happened today, people would be going out of their gourd. But you can even make the case, if you wanted to, of making this the number one booking decision of all time. Because I don't know if the WWF would go national if it was anybody else other than Hulk Hogan. I don't think you have WrestleMania without Hulkamania. Hulkamania started January 23rd, 1984. What do you got? That was a great call. Great call. Vince's uh, vision. This is the guy that I want to lead my company. I want him to be the face of my company. Uh, And it worked. It worked uh, 1,000%. What number is this on your list? Number six. It's an awful call. You would have it higher, I'm guessing. It is an, it's a travesty that you have this at number six. Well, you haven't heard the other five. It doesn't matter. (laughs) There's no way in hell the other five can possibly top that moment. Ooh, I disagree. Okay. So I'm guessing I'm wrong about we all sharing the same number one. Here's the thing. Go ahead. How? Okay. You don't put it as your number one. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll play the game here. It's not your top three. No. Come on. Come on. Not my top three either. Well, this is where the both of you play. This is where it comes down to, well, in my opinion, this was the but best it's, fucking but, decision. But, Bully, it's in my top this ten and it's number six. This is a life-changing business decision. Life-altering. It changed everything and it not did. even in the top three. But here's the thing, Bully, like, and this is where I struggled with it. We talked a little bit about it on the show yesterday. I know this. Listen, Bully, here's the thing. I can't argue with you. Like if you, if every caller from now to the end of the show and you have it at your number one, I I can't, I can't argue with you because here I am saying that Hulk Hogan is the biggest pro wrestling star of all time. But I remember at the time, this was very controversial because again, how do you, how do you make Hulk Hogan your number one contender at the beginning of that match? Gorilla Monsoon and Pat Patterson are describing that he was named the number one contender for this championship. How can you do that? I mean, because this is where I, I struggle with it, Bully. And I understand the business side of it. And I, I, can, I can't argue with you, Bully. I can't. When you look at the business side of what it did for the world of the WWF. But, man, 
Bob Backlund doesn't even get a rematch with the Iron Sheik. He doesn't even get a rematch. Hulk Hogan never had a singles match in the WWF before that match at Madison Square Garden. How do you deem him the number one contender? Which, by the way, Bully, back then, wins and losses did matter. Those ranking systems did matter. How do you, and I remember it, Bully, like it was yesterday. Everybody was up in arms in the magazines and all that stuff. Because how do you put him the number one contender? He's never had a singles match in the company. Very, very controversial decision. That's why it falls to number six. But still, I'm talking about, but still, Bully, I'm talking about the number six best booking decision of all time. But I, but again, Bully, I, I'm not going to argue with you because I can understand it being number one. You know how big of a set of brass balls it took to put him into that match and pull the trigger as quick as they did? Uh, I don't know. Hang on, hang on. Let me just counterpoint. It was working in the AWA, and it was working. Hulkamania was not formed in WWE. It was formed in the AWA. But unless you were diehards like you and Dave, who found ways to watch the AWA, I don't think a ton of people in New York on that night knew him. They knew him because Backlund brought him out on TV, and we had somebody that looked considerably different than Bob Backlund and anybody else we'd ever seen before. No, no, I I get that, but it's also like kind of looking at it like Cody. Cody was in the WWE. They didn't deem him a top guy. He left, became a top guy, and then they brought him back. He's a top guy. Hogan was in WWE, wasn't deemed a top guy, went out, got over in the AWA. If I'm the booker, promoter, uh, or Vince, I'm seeing what this guy's business is doing elsewhere, and I'm taking him. If either one of you have Hulk Hogan in your five-to-one spot and have picked another Hulk Hogan moment over this, there's there's no way in hell that uh, I disagree. And also, here's the other reason why WrestleMania two wasn't didn't work. And who was, was on it? top? Hogan. What, what, WrestleMania two came from three. You know this came. But from three I, I know that. Locations. But I'm saying if you're you this can't top, put top the weight act, of the world on him. I'm Yes, you can. If you're How? the t- WrestleMania was was worked was an anomaly, kind of like Wembley. What it did afterwards didn't do as great as business until what? WrestleMania three. But that we'll get into. But if you don't have Hulk Hogan in at if you don't have Hulk defeating the Iron Sheik, nothing else happens. Nothing. Everything that comes after I agree with that. Everything that comes after Hogan beating Sheik is because Hogan beat Sheik. There can't be another bigger Hogan moment. And you can't say that WrestleMania 2 won the National Coliseum, Chicago, and L.A. You can't put that all on Hulk. That was a very weird WrestleMania. It, was a, I mean, it wasn't a good one. It wasn't a good – again, Bully, I can't argue with you, but I do feel like it's funny because you just said about it. In my top five, there's two Hogan moments in my top five. It's, I'm it's more than be- willing to listen to your rationale, but – I don't know how you have but, any other bigger I, Hulk. And I know which two they're going to be. But and, and, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, but. But but I but I will disagree with you on something, Bully. I don't feel, especially at that time that you had to pull the trigger, 
that quickly. You could have had the Iron Sheik hold on to that championship for a couple other months and had Hogan on TV for, you know, January and February and then him have some singles matches and built him up a little bit more. But 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 again, it's like it's like sitting in a deer stand and not pulling the trigger. Oh, well, and here comes a six point buck. And you say to yourself, oh, well, maybe an eight point buck will come streaming along. And then it never comes along. That was the moment. But Bully, I'm saying this. And and again, you got to go back to that time. And Tommy, you will remember. They, they like the magazines and the magazines. I know you look at it now. You're like, all right, it's the magazines. But the magazines were a big deal back then because of that fact that he never had a singles match before going up against the Iron Sheik, the magazines didn't deem him a world champion. If you remember, Tommy, you know, the AWA champion was a world champion. The NWA champion was a world champion. But Hulk Hogan was just champion. He was not a world champion because there was a big controversy of him getting that opportunity for a world championship without having a singles match in that company. So in the back of the magazines, when they used to do the top 10, it's it, it said Bob Backlund, WWF world champion. But then when they put it on Hogan, they got rid of the word world. Yes. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that, but okay. And it was yeah. always rated NWA, AWA, WWF. Yep. They were, they were the, the third. Okay. It was, I, I, I know it's, it's completely been erased from memory. Very controversial decision having him just walk into that company and going. And Dave, after also the with the machine. magazines, I and mean, we've talked about the importance of magazines. It was the internet before the internet, but think about Sports Illustrated. You made the cover of Sports Illustrated. You were there. You made the cover of Time Magazine. You were it. So you know you can't discredit the power of that media for that time. Not All right, we got are. it. I'm just trying to tell our other yeah. listeners. The number one pro wrestling show on the planet, Busted Open, is available seven days a week by subscribing and downloading the Busted Open podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. Join me alongside two WWE Hall of Famers, Mark Henry and Bully Ray, the hardcore legend, Tommy Dreamer, plus Thunder Rosa and Mickey James all week long as we break down everything going on in and out of the ring. Listen to Busted Open right now on the SXM app or wherever you get your podcasts. Your top five, top ten best booking decisions in pro wrestling history. What do you got? Uh, if I could just quickly say some of the things that were not on my list that I had Honorable to mentions. Remove. I love it. Honorable mentions. Uh, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, WrestleMania to WrestleMania. Someone coming up with, hey, you know, you're undefeated. The Undertaker streak. Um, my favorite angle of all time. I recommend everybody watching it. Ted DiBiase, the number one contender for Ric Flair, uh, title when he was a heel, Dick Murdoch gives him the brain buster on the concrete turning, uh, Ted DiBiase babyface and mid match because he comes back spirit of 76. They followed the entire angle out there. And also a time period where a lot of wrestlers didn't stop due to blood. That same angle was recreated with Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's on a lot of people's top tens. Anyway, here we go. My number five. This may create some controversy, but I kind of think it drew big business. And as we all learned, they planned the whole thing. John Cena and The Rock, WrestleMania to WrestleMania. 
did big, big Good business. One. They were, and then the rock winning the world title, uh, John Cena cutting unscripted promos back and forth. They were working the boys. They were working everybody who knows still to this day. Do they like each other? Sure. They do. Cause we saw each other, hug them out on SmackDown, but that was my number five because of the business that it did WrestleMania to WrestleMania. Dave, you got anything for me or no? Um, I, I wrestled with that a little bit about putting that in my top 10. I mean, okay. it showed that, Hey, you know what you can make, you know, you can make a, you could book a match a year out and it worked. And I really thought that was one of the most underrated WrestleManias of all time. WrestleMania 28. There you go. From also the guy being a host to, you know, and they did, they plotted this whole thing out. Uh, my number four, we had the caller call in about it. The Hulk Hogan joining the NWO kind of changed the trajectory of Hulk Hogan because how dare he turn bad show new life of Hulkamania. And I mean, they just kicked WWF's ass, almost putting them out of business. But then they were highly on our worst booking decisions. And that's why they did go out of business uh, in WCW. My number three, you brought up a very, very good point. But it has to be my number three, and uh, I would love to debate it with you. Roman Reigns and the bloodline issue um, story. You said because I haven't seen the payoff yet. For the amount of sheer business that it has done, there has never been a bigger time in the wrestling industry than right now. For the amount of money that, uh, and Roman Reigns said it on his promo because he's a great heel and he put it all, that he took a million-dollar industry and turned it into a billion-dollar industry. Uh, for what the WWE was sold for. Um, and, and, you know, we're talking about a lot of things. Think of all the, the the characters and people that have been elevated just by working with Roman Reigns. And I know a lot of people are, are going to say, you know, he hasn't defended the title, all that stuff. But money is money, and we're at the highest peak in professional wrestling history. That's why it's my number three. Okay. Um, I want to see how it plays out, like I said. I, I You know, let's see it. Let's see what happens at WrestleMania 40. I, I think it's a little too premature to put it that high, though I understand what you were saying about the business the WWE is doing right now. I heard what you said earlier, Dave, and based on what Tommy just said, I have to agree with Tommy. Okay. Would you put it that high? No. Okay. Well, the I mean, I do my list, face. and also if we're talking about business, it drew the most money out of anything else in the history. And I know you're about business. It's drawn the most money. So it should be number one on your, 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 the, the bloodline story, as far as drawing money, you're lumping it into a, a boom period within the WWE. Um, I, I don't think it's enough time to, to discuss it. I agree. I, I, I understand where you're going. I don't know if just, you're talking about a time when WrestleMania, you know, WrestleManias are in stadiums. Uh, is Roman Reigns and the Bloodline selling out these WrestleManias, or does WrestleMania sell out the WrestleManias? We can put our finger on house shows being up because of Cody Rhodes. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, I do it. I believe the Bloodline belongs on your list? Yes. You put it at four, three. Okay. You didn't even you meant, by any chance. Did you mention Hogan and Sheik yet? No, it's not on my top 10. Okay. So your, your top 10 is completely invalid. 
You didn't even do your homework. You should be standing in the back of the class. About? What, are what are you talking about? What are you talking about? This was, I did my homework. Number two. I'm not supposed to have a top 10 list. Macho Man and Hulk Hogan and the Mega Powers. How that entire thing got them together and then to the split was specifically booked. Why I loved that era of the WWE. You could see who's the top guy, but who's going to be the next guy, whether it was Hogan's on top, then here comes Savage, here comes Warrior. The Intercontinental title meant so much, but that they they would give you a year trajectory of a guy's career. And this angle was booked insane and so, so good. And I just truly love this entire uh, generation of pro wrestling. And my number one, which again, booked to perfection, led to ratings, led to the highest rated thing of all time uh, on uh, broadcast television, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. It drew the most fans at the time. Uh, though I know we all debate about all those things because we're professional wrestling fans and we love to debate stuff. But Hogan versus Andre, if you want to talk about long-term booking, they even went back to when Andre was the first person to congratulate Hulk Hogan when he defeated the Iron Sheik in Madison Square Garden. The little, little subtleties of raising uh, Andre uh, Hogan's hand when they were in tag matches. They just did all this stuff that made it so, so believable. Again, nobody had defeated Andre. His undefeated streak was just insane. They were even saying nobody slammed the giant. There was, even though Hogan had slammed him before, but just this build was just done great. And then the build after the match and how it continued all the way to WrestleMania four, then the Saturday night's main event, all the other characters that became so, so over and iconic is why it's my number one best booked angle of all time. All right. That was your top five. Let me go down my top five and then we'll get bullies top three. Um, we heard this earlier from Mongrovia and Mike. My number five is WrestleMania 13 stone cold and Bret Hart, the iconic crimson mask on stone cold, Steve Austin's face. And that was the beginning. And then you look at the way stone cold was booked from that moment forward. And you can make the case. One of the biggest superstars of all time on that Mount Rushmore, in my opinion. And I think it begins with WrestleMania 13 at number four. I'm going a little old school here and I'm going back to December 25th, 1982 Christmas night. Uh, Ric Flair versus Kerry Von Erich. Why was that match so important? Again, the second time I've had a Kerry Von Erich, Ric Flair match on my top 10 because it led to the feud between the Freebirds and the Von Erichs. Um, mm -hmm. The enforcer in that match was Michael Hayes. He hits Ric Flair. He wants Kerry Von Erich to pin him. Kerry Von Erich, who's righteous, won't pin Ric Flair to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Terry Gordy slams the cage door on Kerry Von Erich's Head, and it, it really, to me, started maybe the greatest feud in the history of pro wrestling, the Von Eriks and the Freebirds. Uh, number three, and man, the way this was booked from 85 to 86 to 87 and the landmark moments that happened during this three-year period, the Four Horsemen and Dusty Rhodes. You look, at, you look nice. at that cage match in Atlanta, but then you look at, and again, a lot of people don't talk about it. It's not talked about enough when they broke Dusty's arm in the parking lot of of TBS studios in the Jim Crockett um, offices. Um, I mean, that was 
really like pretty horrifying for its time. Um, and then you look at the Starcades, the first ever war games that we're still we're still talking about the war games. Now we're going to get war games at Survivor Series. That's all because of the feud between the Four Horsemen and Dusty Rhodes. The way that was booked is genius, and they actually should put out a book on how that was on how that was booked on how you book main events and book major pay-per-views and major uh, cards. Number two, um, Hulk Hogan, again. Uh, Hogan is the third man, the start of the NWO. Uh, Again, the second run for Hogan. This is why I don't think there's... I'm sorry, and I was never a Hogan guy. I'm sorry. There's no bigger superstar than Hulk Hogan. We talked about what Hulk Hogan did in the territory days with the AWA. Then what... Vince McMahon Jr. did with Hulk Hogan, having him beat the Iron Sheik in January of 1984 and the golden era of the 80s of Hulk Hogan. And then Hulk Hogan doing it again as a heel in the 90s, that second golden era of pro wrestling. I believe there is no NWO. I believe that WCW doesn't become number one if it's not for Hulk Hogan. And then, like you, Tommy, my number one is Hogan and Andre. You look at not only the big business of getting 93,000 fans, and Bully, we talked about this before. 93,000 fans didn't go to see, no no offense, Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage. 93,000 fans bought a ticket to see Hogan versus Andre. Could Hogan slam Andre? And could Hulk Hogan beat Andre the Giant? And let me tell you this. That match and that show killed off the territories. Because you could no longer watch wrestling in a studio. You could no longer watch wrestling in an armory. You could no longer watch wrestling in front of 500 people. Not after you saw a show like WrestleMania 3 in front of 93,000 people. To me... That build as well, the Piper's Pit, the pulling of the crucifix, Hogan's chest bleeding. To me, that's the greatest booking decision of all time. Hogan versus Andre at the Pontiac Silverdome in front of 93,000 fans. So that's my top five. That's my top ten. Bully, your top three. I'll give you my top five instead. Okay, go right ahead, please. And I'll bang them out. Number five, whoever's decision it was to put Hawk and Animal together and put them on TV for the very first time because the Road Warriors are the greatest tag team in the history of the business. Can I give credit to Ole Anderson, right? Ole Ole Anderson. Anderson? Ole Anderson. Um, um, Number four, whoever decided to book Steve Austin and Mike Tyson in the ring at the same time. Number three, Hogan... Whoever decided to turn Hulk Hogan heel, I mean, it obviously it's Eric. We know that Hogan and Eric and him joining the NWO. Number two, Hogan and Andre. The, the decision, the booking decision and the balls it took to turn Andre the giant heel. And then the number one is obvious with me. The balls it took to put Hulk Hogan over the Iron Sheik. And that's God. number one. I was very, very close. I said at the beginning of the show that I thought all three of us would share the same number one. Myself and Tommy had the same number one, but our number one was your number two, 
bully. And and the other thing I have to I have to throw out in the favor of Hogan and Andre is I think that moment of Hogan slamming Andre the Giant is the greatest moment in the history of pro wrestling. It's it's man, I, I even I'm so glad that we have it in the open of our show because man, I, it's and it's hard to argue. I, the reason I put Hogan and Andre and at number two was because you can't have Hogan and Andre at number two if you don't have Hogan and the Sheik at number one. That has to happen first. Otherwise, none of these moments happen with Hulk Hogan. And I and I understand the debate of how can you have Hulk Hogan come in and just win the championship. I get that. Like, if you were presenting this to a jury, you'd have some good, reasonable doubt right there. The To sit down at a table and to tell me we're going to turn Andre the Giant heel to get Hulk Hogan to the next level, that is probably one of the biggest booking decisions that led to big money ever. But I had to put it at number two, because if you don't have Hulk, if you don't have Hulk beating the iron cheek at number one, none of this, it's the first big domino to fall in some of the biggest money-making angles in the history of wrestling. It's the foundation where Hogan and Andre is the house. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 a great debate, and um, you know, would the WWF have been able to go national if Hogan wasn't your top guy? Uh, I mean, I, no. I mean, I I would I I would have to say no because I guess it would have been, and obviously things outside the ring probably changed the course of history as well. But you would have went with I guess Jimmy Superfly Snuka as his top babyface. If he tried to go national, I guess that would have been the decision over Hogan. I don't think you would have gotten the same reaction that you got from Hogan. Yes, and we all know that Jimmy was not on, you know, very reliable. Uh, and there was, you know, things that had happened with Jimmy that I guess kept the WWE, you know, you know, nervous about booking him on top. But to me, it's uh it's it's cut and dry like uh, most like 99% of things are and Pro wrestling with me, um, and yeah. But I had also um, oh, go ahead, honorable Bully, mention, Tommy. and I thought Bully would have said it. Rock and rolled midnight, um, and it started with mushing the guy, uh, Jim Cornette's face in the cake, yeah. and literally changed the course of tag team wrestling. Um, there, there, there's so many, Dave. Um, and, and going back to that time where you know you think about you know Hulk Hulk Hogan, yeah, you listen to that reaction, you know when when Hogan won. Like like you said, nobody really was. If that happened today, he's not a number one contender. Blah blah blah. Back then, nobody cared. Um, it was a simpler time. It was a great time. But then, if I also think about who could have done it, is a, a big question. Like for today, think of the stars, and I'm talking stars, mega stars that the WWE had at their disposal at that time: Jimmy Snuka, Sergeant Slaughter. We just bring in Hulk Hogan. Bob Backlund was already your champion. If you would have ran Sheik and continued to build Sheik, I get why they did it. Hell, we also had, we always pulled him out when we needed to, Bruno San Martino. So 
Think of what we have today in the WWE. Cody Rhodes, Jay Uso, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, LA Knight. You have a lot of those comparisons of over, over baby faces because baby faces thrive this industry and great heels to be their opponents. Yeah, um, that's why it's a great, Tommy, it's a great it, talk. talk. What? Sorry, I didn't mean to jump on you, but Tommy, you know, let's look at those those two booking decisions that we're debating, you know, whether it's Hogan and Andre or Hogan Sheik or vice versa. I don't think there was any person at Madison Square Garden on January 23rd, 1984, that was rooting for the Iron Sheik. And I don't think there was anybody amongst those 93,000 fans that was rooting for Andre. That would never happen today. If you had Hogan versus Andre today, it'd probably be 50-50. And if you had, had, you know, Hogan, you would not have been able to have that amount of people buying into one character and one personality with one goal in mind. You, you're not, I'm sorry. You're not getting that today. Like I love Cody and I'm hoping Cody goes over Roman in Philadelphia at WrestleMania 40 as much as Cody's love right now. And you said bully. He's a big reason why we're getting the numbers that the WWE is getting right now. You're not getting 80,000 fans rooting for Cody Rhodes against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 4. There's still going to be a portion of fans in Philadelphia that's going to be rooting for Roman. You can't say that with Hogan against the Sheik or Hogan against Andre. Especially Hogan versus Sheik at Madison Square Garden. And I think, and we've had this conversation before, the importance of the heel in pro wrestling. The heel is so much more important than the baby face. As I've always said, you know, Luke Skywalker is a whiny bitch and nothing more than that without Darth Vader. I'm going to go back to it. You have Hulk Hogan. Okay, we have this incredible baby face. What do we do with him now? We don't have a heel for him. What do we do? We take the most over baby face on the planet. Uh, an attraction that everybody loved. And he, correct me if I'm wrong, was a baby face everywhere he went on the planet, right? And and I like and, what you Andre said. And Andre the Giant. Yes, and I like what you said, attraction. Because he was an attraction and he went all over the world, they never made him a world champion because he was an attraction. Because you wouldn't keep Andre in a territory for a long time. I don't know who would know this story. But I would love to talk to somebody who was a fly on the wall the first time Vince McMahon uttered the words, we're turning Andre the Giant heel. I would love to know if there was pushback. I would like to know if anybody told Vince behind you know closed doors, you're crazy. I would love to know those. Do you guys, have you guys ever heard those from like a Bruce Pritchard or or anybody? Or a Jim Cornette, the keeper of all the stories? I mean, the guy, unfortunately, you know, I'm sure Pat Patterson Pat, would have known. Yeah, I, I know Pat. Pat, would, have, but... Pat would have been the guy. You know what? I have Pat's book. I read it years ago. I'm going to go back and see if he mentions that at all in his book. The guy we have to probably ask, Bully, is Hogan. I mean, Hogan would know. I mean, I'm sure Hogan would have heard those rumblings, and I'm sure Hogan would, was probably wondering if it would have worked or not. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open 
Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today.